0: If you're here this morning and you are without a Bible, there are men coming up the aisle right now. If you just raise your hand, they'll be happy to give you a Bible and have it marked to the place we're going to be studying this morning. So you can follow along not only in your hearing, but also in your reading. We want everyone not only to hear the Word of God, but also to read it with their own eyes. And so we'll pick things up, Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Sounds like there's a lot working against us. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation to speak. Let's pray together. Lord we thank you for your word and again this morning we acknowledge that it will outlive the heavens and the earth. Every mountain, every sea, every river, everything. And we acknowledge Lord that your word is going to have the final say and every circumstance in human history, every circumstance in the great events of of human history but also in every individual circumstance large or small in our individual lives and so teach us your word this morning by your holy spirit so that we can understand more fully lord what is our present and what is our future as you have promised it and we pray lord this morning that your word would come forth not in word only but in demonstration and the witness of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, Lord, and in power. And we ask these things of you, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. This morning I believe that I'm to deviate from our current series for one week in order to um, address the subject of spiritual Warfare, not in the in sense of dealing with it in depth, but mostly by way of reminder to us this morning. This wonderful passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, we're instructed on how to successfully withstand anything and everything that the devil might throw against us in our Christian life and in our pilgrimage. How to withstand even the fiercest, most concentrated attack that the enemy might make against us. Spiritual warfare at its worst. And then, number two, how to be found standing victoriously when all is said and done, as Paul writes there in verse 13. So this passage again, how to, number one, successfully withstand Any and all spiritual warfare, even at its worst. And then number two, how to be found standing victoriously when all is said and done. Now you tell me how valuable and priceless a passage that instructs us related to that is with so much working against us. The victory in spiritual warfare centers around three very important areas in our life and encapsulated in three Uh, great words. And I would like every single Christian to memorize these three words so that for the remainder of our lives, any time we would turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and read this passage on spiritual warfare, that it would immediately fall into kind of a a three-part outline within our minds. And the three words are, number one, recognize, number two, resist, and number three, rejoice. Recognize. This passage of Scripture teaches us how to recognize spiritual warfare when it's going on in our lives. Number two, resist. It teaches us how to successfully resist spiritual warfare. And then, finally, rejoice. The, it teaches us the attitude of faith and confidence that we're to maintain in the midst of spiritual warfare. Warfare. And so we begin in verses 11 and 12 with that word recognize, how to recognize spiritual warfare when it occurs in our lives. And this is very important because very often we can discover, and I hope I'm not the only one that has experienced it, but we can discover that we've been under attack by the enemy or in spiritual warfare for a long time before we begin to recognize it for what it is. And then the light goes on somewhere in the course of it and we realize after a day or after three days or after three weeks, wow, this is spiritual warfare. And by then, tremendous damage can have been uh, done in our lives or we can be living a life of unnecessary aggravation. And the reason that we can be so long in recognizing spiritual warfare for what it is is because the Bible declares that our enemy, the devil, and we do have an enemy, that he is very, very subtle in his dealings and that he is very, very uh, crafty. You notice in verse 11 that he has wiles. That's kind of an old word for us. And uh, it can be equally translated devices or schemes or strategies. And we get our English word from the Greek word that's used to uh, the, the English word wiles comes from. We get our English word method from it. And you notice that the wiles is plural. The devil doesn't have just one method. He has many methods that, uh, that he uses. And he doesn't come out in the open so often in uh, this spiritual warfare that we're in. Sometimes he does. And, it, and he doesn't really allow us to kind of face off with him out in some open field where we can use, you know, recognize him for who he is immediately and the weapons that are ours in Christ so often. And uh, he much rather prefers to operate very, very quietly. He wants to go undetected as long as possible. Again, because he's subtle. In uh, In Genesis chapter 3, we're told, now the serpent was more cunning or subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Paul wrote uh, to the church at Corinth, and he said, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so too your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Because he is so subtle, because he is so crafty, uh, that we can go Long periods of time while being attacked before we recognize spiritual warfare for what it is. So again, really half the battle in spiritual warfare is to recognize that I'm in the middle of it, to be aware of our enemy's uh, devices. So what are some of his devices? What are some of his schemes? Notice in verse 12, perhaps the most effective device that he uses against Christians is to get us to forget that there's a very real and very powerful spiritual realm operating behind the physical realm that we live in. It's a silly illustration. I use it over and over again simply because um, it was one of the things that God used to make things click for me and this coming to realize that everything is not what it appears to be in the physical realm, that we're not just dealing with a physical realm as Christians in this world, but we're also contending with a spiritual realm that is using the physical realm very often uh, to its purposes. I remember when I was a... Uh, almost a brand new Christian and I was teaching a home Bible study. The church that I was attending was very reckless. They turned things over to people like me. And uh, so I was teaching this home fellowship in an adjoining city and I had finished my day's work and uh, I was riding home in my car, a little yellow Chevy Love pickup. And if you ever had a Chevy Love pickup, you know you sold it as quickly as you could. You either had to be a mechanic or get rid of the thing. So it really couldn't go very fast, but I was going the speed limit on this particular freeway, making my way home. And this guy comes just pulling up right around me, comes right up beside me, and he gave me an obscene gesture. Well, that really made me mad. And uh, I, I was going to say it probably make me less mad today, but I'm re- rethinking that just at the moment. <laughs> I, I think i would handled it a little more maturely. But he comes up and he does this thing and uh, there's no reason, there's another lane he can go by, I'm not holding him up or anything like that. But he really fried me with that. I, I, I got my Chevy Love all the way up to 60 miles an hour in order to follow him to the off ramp and I followed him off the off ramp and over to the place that he pulled his car over and I mean, I'm going to go, he's either going to beat me up or I'm going to beat him up. I got, a, I got a home Bible study I'm going to teach that night. <laughs> Damien, I mean, your face is all mashed up. What, what happened? Oh, I fell down a pole. It, uh, it worked today. I was a lineman and Cable Slicer at the time. And uh, so this was the thing I was going to, and the Lord just broke through to me, and there's this big way, and I don't know how loud he had to shout by his Holy Spirit, but he just let me know, Damien, it's the devil. The devil has so many human instruments that he can use. In fact, any that aren't born again um, are basically at, at his service in terms of using them to come against us. And so there can be that thing where we we do need to recognize that there is a spiritual realm that operates behind the physical realm. Jesus, over and over again, just faithfully looked behind the flesh and blood, the people that were involved in a situation, and he took note of the spiritual realm that was operating behind the physical realm. He spoke to the religious leaders as they uh, confronted him and as they um, would would resist him. And uh, one time he spoke to them and he said, "'You are of your father the devil.'" And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe. And so Jesus recognized the demonic source behind these religious leaders. When Peter became more concerned about pleasing man than pleasing uh, God... Jesus recognized the demonic source behind it. And he said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. He noticed there was a a demonic element to what it is that Peter was speaking to him. I think of the Apostle Paul in the city of Philippi, where this demon-possessed girl was following him around as he's trying to preach the gospel in the city. And everything that she's saying is is true, but Paul doesn't want, and the Holy Spirit didn't want, a devil advertising uh, the truth. God doesn't need the devil's help in that. And so Paul turned to her and cast the demon out of her. He realized that behind this, this person looked good on the outside, saying all the right things, Recognize there's a demonic spirit here, and cast the demon uh, out. And we need to be constantly aware as Christians that our battle is not supremely against people, but against an enemy who is merely using people to attack us or to discourage us or to defame us or to preoccupy us. And if we lose sight of the fact that there is a spiritual realm behind the physical realm, then we will spend all of our time fighting fire with fire. We will come down on the physical level in, in terms of... Uh, of, of battling it instead of using the weapons that are ours that are effective against it. Another device uh, or scheme of our enemy is just the plain old tried and true out in the open sex drugs and rock and roll temptations. That kind of thing where you're just going along and you've been born again for a while and God has come in and just delivered you from such wonderful things and you've experienced the power of God in your life and You can begin to think, I'll never ever be tempted again by the old things or the old temptations uh, ever again. And then all of a sudden, seemingly out of the blue, you get hit with this temptation, a blast from the past, and you think to yourself, where in the world did that come from? I haven't been tempted that strong by that thing for a, a very, very long time. And sometimes the devil will just come out in warfare, and he can be very, very bold and, and, and try a full funnel attack to knock us, uh, knock us over. Other methods that our enemy uses, which are often very hard to identify uh, and uh, immediately recognize, because of their subtleness and their uh, craftiness. Sometimes this warfare can manifest itself in an irrational fear. Well, one morning you just wake up and suddenly you are just almost paralyzed with fear. But it has no basis in reality. Nothing changed from yesterday, nothing changed from the day before. There is a fear that's based in reality. Our car insurance that comes in the mail. (laughs) A medical diagnosis that we receive when we go to the doctors. Those are fears that have a basis in reality. We don't give in to those. We deal with those in a different way. But that's not the subject of the message today. But here is a fear where there has been no mail. There's been no diagnosis. Nothing has changed. And yet there is this fear that rests upon you like a fog. You cannot discover a physical origin for it at all in, in your in your life. And, and so when you see something where you say, I can't discover a physical origin for it, very often for the Christian, that has its origin in spiritual warfare. I think it's very good to realize that as a Christian. If I cannot discover the source for some kind of feeling or impression that affects my mind or affects my heart, I cannot discover a basis for it in a physical reality to then look at it very quickly and say, I do believe I could be looking very much at spiritual warfare in, in this situation. Sometimes this spiritual warfare can manifest itself in an unexplainable melancholy or depression. Again, it has no basis in reality. You just feel down. You just feel depressed. Nothing changed from yesterday. Nothing changed from last week. And yet here is this this depression that uh, lays uh, upon you. And so often it can be spiritual in its origin, demonic in its origin. Sometimes it can manifest itself in an anger or a frustration that, again, has no basis in reality. With people, you wake up. And you can wake up and just be awake for five minutes. You say, why am I so uptight? I'm ready to bite off every person's head and worse inside of this home. Nothing's changed from yesterday. Went to bed last night, and I mean, here you are, just as gentle as a lamb and happy as can be. All the people that are irritating you today, you before you went to sleep, you prayed for each one of them with joy, and yet you wake up in the morning, and there's this frustration and anger with people. No basis in a physical reality. Spiritual warfare it can manifest itself in covetousness. Where a person, again, for no obvious reason, becomes just consumed with a desire for some material thing. Karen and I, my wife Karen and I, had a friend, and his name was Ken Bunyard. And he's the one that introduced uh, Karen to me and got us, we took our first date. So he's, we think of him, of course, very affectionately. But he had a phase in his life where all he could think about were MGs. The cars. You couldn't, and he and he was dating Karen's older sister, and so we were around him a lot. And he had the studio apartment right next door to mine, so I was around Ken a lot. And you couldn't have a conversation with him except he'd talk about MGS, MGM, gm Jim, Jim, gm G. So to this day, whenever we get something where we're thinking, you know, you're consumed with something or whatever, one of us will say, M-G-M-G-M-G-M-G. It could be that kind of thing. We're just consumed with something, getting something. And uh, here I've got this overwhelming sense. I've got to have it. I'll be incomplete with, uh, without it and just obsessed with getting it. And, and so uh, if you go out and you suddenly you buy it, all of a sudden the obsession is over, but now you couldn't care less about owning a Gumby and a Pokey set. Now you've got to deal with the debt of it. And the devil has won something there. And you think, well, what was that all about? So often it's spiritual warfare. Sometimes it can manifest itself in bitterness and unforgiveness. And you forgave that person a long time ago. You ever thought about what they did to you for years? Why today are you thinking about what they did to you years ago and you gave it to the Lord and put it in His hands and asked Him to work it together for good, haven't given it a thought for years, and yet today it's like it happened just yesterday to you? Spiritual warfare it can manifest itself in crushing discouragement, no reason for it in the physical realm. It can manifest itself just with out-of-the-blue tension in a marriage where the relationship just becomes strained. He hasn't become any more pig-headed than he was yesterday. She hasn't become any more the wonderful... (laughs) You fill it in. I'm not going to get myself in trouble over this sermon. Nothing's changed in the marriage from yesterday or two days ago. And I mean, you're both just ready to let one another have it verbally or to go in the old silent treatment mode for, which is the method of, of others. You think, what in the world? What's this strife going on between us? Nothing changed, he didn't do anything, I didn't, what? So often is spiritual warfare. No basis in a physical reality. Sometimes it can be, manifest itself in jealousy It's consumed with jealousy, No, no reason for it in the physical. Sometimes it can manifest itself in doubting God, His goodness, His love. Didn't doubt it yesterday, but today I'm doubting it. Nothing's changed. Spiritual warfare. And again, sometimes he is so subtle that it can go on for a while before a person realizes it's a device of the enemy. And so we forget that we're in a spiritual warfare. And so literally half the battle is to recognize that we're in a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare, and to recognize the enemy's devices. But recognizing our enemy is only a part of the story. We also have to rise up and then resist his attack. Notice in verses 14 through 20, Resist, how to successfully resist the devil's devices in spiritual warfare. And we successfully resist the devil and his devices by making sure that we are wearing the spiritual armor that is ours because we're Christians, because of what Christ has provided for us. Number one, verse 14, we're to have our waist girded with the truth. The Roman soldier wore a belt, and and Paul is using the image of a Roman soldier and what what he wore. He wore a belt around his waist. And the interesting thing about that belt is that all the other pieces of his armor were connected to that belt. And what that belt allowed him to do is that when he would go into battle, he would take whatever robe or any loose parts of his clothing and he would pull it up through the belt so that he wouldn't have any, any kind of loose uh, garment that he would trip over, and as he would hit head into a battle and we 're not talking about the movies we 're talking about a battle hand to hand combat where any small thing can mean the difference between life and death and and what the belt did is it allowed him to go into battle, knowing that whatever happens in this battle my my garments are not going to trip me up, and none of my armor is going to come loose and make me vulnerable. And that's what the belt did. The belt held everything uh, together so that he wouldn't become an easy prey to his enemy. And in the same way, we're to make sure that every area of our lives is tied to God's truth, to the Word of God, and, and, and that every single area of our lives is in a right relationship with God's commandments with God's Word and spiritual warfare is a very very good time to just step back and to make sure that every area of my life is in line with God's Word my thinking my saying my doing to take an inventory and make doubly sure my life is holy and my life is in line with the Scriptures and if we're living our lives in a right relationship with God's word, then we can be absolutely confident that we will not trip, we will not fall and, and, and fall apart in the middle of this battle. Notice number two in verse 14, we're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate of the Roman soldier, it protected his chest, it protected the vital organs, and especially the heart. So that was kind of like what would be our modern-day bulletproof vest. And because the devil likes to attack our heart, God has provided us with a spiritual breastplate of righteousness. And that spiritual breastplate of righteousness is what the Bible calls an imputed righteousness, a righteousness that's been put to our account because of our faith in Jesus. The moment you and I put our faith in Jesus for salvation, at that moment the Bible says that the righteousness, the right onness, the rightness of Jesus was put to our account so that when God now looks at us for the rest of our lives, He does not see our unrighteousness, but He sees the righteousness of Christ. Paul put it this way, For He, that is the Father, made Him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, to bear our sin on the cross, that we might become the righteousness, uh, that we might have... Well, let me read it for you here. <laughs> that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus and here's how it works in the spiritual warfare so when the devil tries to attack and penetrate my heart with condemnation from my past I know that probably most of us in this room we just came to Christ and you are so clean and so holy and I think you stole a cookie once when you were growing up and that was the sin that was going to separate you forever from, from heaven and God. I'm kidding around, of course. Most of us, when we come to know the Lord, we, we had some baggage already. And one of the things that the devil loves to do is in spiritual warfare is to bring up our past, to remind us of what we were before Christ what we said, what we did, the things that we regret, the things that we wish we could change and do over again. And so he tries to attack our our hearts with the condemnation of our past by reminding us uh, of the sin of the past. And we don't have to argue with him. We shouldn't argue with him. We should just simply rest behind the breastplate of righteousness that Christ has provided for us and to just say to the Lord, 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 If I could change my past, if I could change all the wrong that I did before I came to know you by digging into it and examining it and analyzing it and weeping over it and feeling regret for it, then, Lord, it would have been changed a long time ago. But I know I can't change it that way. I just entrust what I was before I came to know you, to you. And I know that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for your forgiveness. Thank you for a fresh start. Thank you that you save people like me. Thank you that you make me a trophy for your grace. And you just begin to praise the Lord. And the devil has no answer for when his attack against us drives us even deeper in our relationship with the Lord he's gotta back off from that attack and so we wear the breastplate of righteousness when we accept this fact the complete forgiveness that God has provided us for us from our past sin romans chapter 5 says but where sin abounded grace abounded much more it hyperabounded you realize it's a word picture, actually, that Paul brings out there. And the idea is, um, is kind of, of building like a sandcastle on a seashore. There's our sin that we committed before the Lord. We don't minimize it. It's real. It's there. Great price was paid by Christ to provide us with the forgiveness of it. But here's the sandcastle that's out on the beach. And then in comes this wave of God's grace. We come to know Christ that not only takes out the sandcastle, but takes out half of California. And so we live at the beach here in Modesto now. But that's the size of the wave where sin abounded. Grace, God's grace abounded much more. There's no comparison between the two. And I think a of the Apostle Paul, and he certainly knew something about this. You talk about a guy that could have dwelt with great regret on his past, and he knew how to wear the, the breastplate of righteousness. He wrote to Timothy, and he said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy... That in me first, Christ Jesus might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So here he turns the whole thing around on the devil, and then he heads into praise, "Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone who is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice number three, in verse 15, we're to have our feet shod with a preparation of the gospel of peace in other words we must never allow spiritual warfare to drive us out of our calling or out of our Christian service and when you find yourself we find ourselves in very 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 harsh spiritual warfare it can become a great great temptation Sometimes the Lord will allow us to be stretched beyond what we think is our breaking point. Ever had him do that? Lord, I think (laughs) we passed it yesterday. But the Bible says that God will not allow a temptation or testing in our life except that he'll give us a way of escape out of it or he'll give us the grace to withstand and endure in the midst of it. He'll give us the grace that we need. And I think that very often, and I, I wish there was another way to learn this, I wish there was a correspondence course I could take for this, but very often we can only discover his resources as we are pushed beyond ours. I would love to live my life within my natural resources, my natural reserve. But if I did that, I would never discover his power and his grace and in his wisdom. And so often he'll move us and allow us to be moved way beyond what is our natural ability to withstand in something so that we then will discover his supernatural provision in our lives. The Apostle Paul, again, he wrote of his experience, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in this vein. He said, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even of life. This isn't Paul saying, what will sound really melodramatic in this verse? It's a point in time where you've got one of the most strong-willed, Spirit-filled people in the history of the world. And here was a situation in which they, he and they despaired even of life. Yes, we the descendants of death in ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, and whom we trust that He will still deliver us. We must never allow spiritual warfare to drive us out of God's calling upon our life, drive us out of Christian service, or to allow or to allow it to stop us from following him. Sometimes people it can be so hard people can say I can't take this. I'm going to I'm I'm just I'm going to back I'm going to back off on on how fervently I'm I'm living for the Lord and walking for the Lord. There is something harder than obeying God's word. And obeying God's word in this fallen world can be very hard. But there is something harder And that is a life of disobedience. Some of us know what that is. And so it keeps us from ever going back into the world or the things of the world. Then notice in verse 16, he says, Above all, in other words, in addition to everything else, we're to take the shield of faith with which we'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. The Roman shield, he's talking about the large Roman shield. They had a small one and a large one. Their large one was about four feet by two-and-a-half feet uh, uh, tall, by two-and-a-half feet wide, made of wood covered with uh, leather. And so the soldier would carry it out in front of him, and it would protect him from spears. It would protect him from arrows. And it would protect him very specifically from flaming arrows or fiery darts, as as it's described uh, here. And our shield in this warfare is spiritual warfare is faith. And the faith that's mentioned here is not a saving faith, but it's a living faith. It's it's an active trust in the power and the promises of God. And faith is a defensive weapon that protects us from the devil's fiery darts, where he shoots a fiery dart, a lie in our direction, and then we test that dart as it hits our spear, we put the word of God between us and that lie that he's trying to tell us or condemn us with, we, and it catches that arrow. And, and as we put that shield of faith up, we're trusting in the promises and the power of God, And and we're believing that when the smoke clears that God's word is going to be yea and amen in the middle of that battle when Satan is out of all of the darts that he can uh, throw at us and we're going to be left standing. In ancient times there was a man by the name of Sceva. He fought in a ferocious battle and at the end of the battle they counted 200 arrows in his shield. That's a good shield. But that's the way the battle can be. Satan sends his doubts, his accusations, his, these things that he sends against us. And there needs to be that thing where we put that shield up and we say in the midst of it, God, I believe in you. Lord, I believe in your word. I believe in your truth over every lie that's being spoken right now. And I believe that as I trust in your word and put it between me and all the things that are happening around me, that when the attack is over, I'll be left standing. Satan's lies, and he is a liar, and his deceptions, and he is a deceiver, they're only effective if we believe them. They're only effective to the degree that we believe them. And faith in God's word keeps us from believing his lies. Then notice in verse 17, we're to take the helmet of salvation. Of course, Roman soldiers wore a helmet in order to protect their head. And spiritually, that helmet that speaks of the salvation that God has provided for us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul wrote and he said, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the devil loves to attack the heart. He loves to attack us on an emotional, feeling level, but he also loves to attack us on a on a mind uh, level and uh, comes against us in, in that kind of uh, a way. And one of the favorite attacks that... That he has upon the mind or upon the head is in spiritual warfare to try and get a person, one of God's people, to doubt their salvation, to doubt the sureness of their helmet. It goes like this How in the world could I be saved and think the things that I'm thinking? How in the world could I be saved if I'm being this hit this hard by this thing? How in the world could I be saved if I'm being hit with these kind of doubts in my life? And it begins to get us to doubt the sureness of our salvation. The physical battle is never a place to take off a helmet, and it's never a place to take off our spiritual helmet, the sureness of our salvation. Never, ever, ever doubt your salvation in the middle of a spiritual battle. Our salvation is so sure that Jesus sees us already glorified as Christians in heaven. That's how sure it is. And then notice in verse 17, we're to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that was the Roman soldier's only offensive weapon. And our offensive weapon in this battle is the Word of God, which has, a, it, it, uh, ha, it has its source in the Holy Spirit. And so we need to handle these temptations when they come our way in the same way that Jesus handled Those temptations that came his way. Remember the devil tempted him three times at the end of... He began his public ministry at the end of his 40-day fast in the wilderness. The devil tempted him three times in that that place. And each time, uh, Jesus responded to the temptation the same way. It is written, it is written, it is written. If he had just looked at the devil and said, Flame on, you are toast. This is a pile of ashes right there. He could have done that. How much hope would that give me in a spiritual warfare? I can't do that to the devil. So Jesus dealt with the devil with the same resources that we have as Christians, the power of the Holy Spirit and in the Word of God. And he responded each time by quoting the Word of God to the devil. And the devil has no answer for the Word of God. But Jesus didn't just... Each time it's interesting that he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy... in in quoting against the the devil. So when the devil came with a particular temptation, Jesus responded, not with just any verse out of the book of Deuteronomy, but a verse out of the book of Deuteronomy or out of the Old Testament that directly addressed the temptation that Satan was bringing against him. When Satan tempted Jesus to turn the you know, the rocks into bread and that kind of a thing. Jesus didn't start talking about butchering a bullock. That was in the book of Deuteronomy. But what does that have to do with the temptation? What he did is, and the word that's used for the Word of God, that he, in terms of what he quoted, is a word that was appropriate for the occasion. It was appropriate for the temptation. And so the idea is... In the spiritual warfare, it's one of the ways that we learn our Bible. It's one of the ways that we say, what does the Bible have to say about this situation or about this doubt or about this temptation? And then I find out, what does the Bible say about it? Then I answer that temptation with that. And it's one of the wh- I don't know how many of us in the room, we don't have time to do a, a, a survey But I would venture to guess that literally half of the scriptures that the average Christian learns and commits to memory, they do so out of necessity, created by spiritual warfare. So that they can then have an answer to the devices that the devil uses successfully against them based on their personality or whoever they are, however we've been made. And so we learn these passages so that when it happens, we're quick. we got a sword to pull out related to that temptation and answering it with the word of God. That's why it's great during times of spiritual warfare to uh, be learning new scriptures, committing scriptures to memory that have to do with this area of our lives and then post them around the house as is necessary to keep them at the forefront of our minds. You think about what a Roman... The Roman soldiers were amazing in the ancient world. Everybody feared the Roman military. They kept the world in line for a thousand years. That's amazing. By force. To see a Roman soldier wielding a sword in a battle was an awesome thing to see. And what that sword did physically, our sword does spiritually against the enemy, against his military force in the demonic realm as, as we would use it in the temptation and the situation. It's wonderful to think about. Then notice in verse 10, We need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And spiritual warfare just continually, by the day, by the hour sometimes, asking to be freshly filled with the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a battle. When you're out in a battle, I mean, you've got to have food. You've got to have water. The Holy Spirit's likened to water in the Scripture so often. You need refreshment. You're given away so much in the middle of spiritual warfare And just to say, Lord, freshly fill me now with your Holy Spirit. What I had an hour ago, man, too much has happened in the last hour. I need a fresh filling. And Jesus said, if we being evil as parents know how to give good gifts to our children, and we do, he said, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so to be continually asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. No saint is ever the same after having prayed and asked to be refilled with the Holy Spirit, as they were a moment before they lifted up that prayer. That's how sure God is to freshly refill us with the power of His Spirit. And then finally, verse 18, we need to be in prayer. And not just prayer, but always prayer. Because in a battle, you've got to be in in contact with central command in a physical battle. And prayer keeps us in contact with central command, which is in heaven. One of the first things we lose in a in a battle, whether it's a, <clears throat> a warfare, whether a physical warfare or a spiritual warfare, but when the battle gets very, very intense, is it, it's very easy to get disoriented. You don't know up or down or back or forward. You don't trust your judgment. You don't know where you are or what to do. I mean, it's a very disorienting kind of experience and so to be able to pray to the one who sees our lives as a tale that's been told sees everything as, as it's open and naked before him with whom we have to do and say Lord it's all clear to you what do you want me to do next and then he'll speak to us and tell us what we need to do next to be, but to be constantly prayer prayer and more prayer prayer in seasons of spiritual warfare, and not just for ourselves, but for others. And it's important for us as a church body to commit to praying for one another in this area of spiritual warfare. It would be good for us to do that for the next few weeks. And then finally, that third, verse 13, word, rejoice. That while in the midst of spiritual warfare, we are to rejoice... And the knowledge that after Satan has thrown everything that he has at us, after he has thrown his worst at us, when all is said and all is done, we will be found standing victoriously. We will outlive the attack. And to rejoice in that. And to praise the Lord for that. And to know that we will be left standing, we will outlive the the warfare, not on the basis of anything we feel or any human encouragement that other people can give to us, but because God has promised that as we recognize and as we resist in this way in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we will outlive and successfully outlive and outlast any attack of the enemy, this wonderful passage of Scripture, instruction, number one, how to successfully withstand any and all spiritual warfare, even at its worst. And then number two, how to be found standing victoriously when it's all said and done. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father, we recognize it from our own lives. And I just pray that this time and this passage this morning would be a word in due season to those of us who have need in this room for recognizing, once again, being reminded of how to resist. And then, Lord, we just pray for so strong a work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. That nothing, not even the worst attack of the enemy, would rob us of our ability to rejoice in you, to praise and to worship you, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, for how good you are to us. Thank you for all that you have provided us in Christ Jesus to live the fullness of this life, this wonderful life, this Christian life, Lord, in its difficulty, in its valleys also in its mountaintops lord thank you for how you've provided for us we pray for one another right now as a church body we believe in a agreeing prayer as your scripture teaches and we agree together and ask lord that any and all deception associated with spiritual warfare in any person's life that that deception would be broken Lord, we pray that any spiritual warfare that is going on in a single life that is unnecessary, it's beyond what you want to see happening, we pray that you would break that warfare off, Lord, in that person's life. We don't say to break off all warfare because we know that that can be a part of your will in the advancement of the kingdom. But where it's happening unnecessarily, we pray that you would break it, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for our lives that we would hear your voice through your word in prayer by your Holy Spirit through spiritual gifts above all other voices in times of spiritual warfare and all times in our Christian life we commend ourselves to you Lord in the midst of the battle that we're in and not only our own lives but the lives of each one of these men and women that stand in this room that love you so much that pay such a personal price, wonderful price, Lord, in order to be faithful to you in this world. Bless them and strengthen them, Lord, in your calling upon their lives and their place of influence that you've put them in this world. Bless them and keep them in this warfare. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.